97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. I like Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we've got Nick Marietta with the Nick Marietta Collection. And he flew in from Las Vegas, Nevada to talk about scaling from $1 million to $100 million in assets in only 12 months. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer. And every month, we help hundreds of people buy more houses at deeper margins. If you want more information about that, please send me a DM on Instagram. And I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you will take consistent action, you will become one. And the show is brought to you by our, our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to over 2 million cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors to get 10% off. And if you get value today, please tag a friend below, share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And as a friendly reminder, friendly reminder we do have Closers Lab tomorrow and Blockchain Wales on Friday. Ready? Let's go. All right. So first question for both of you guys is what got you guys into real estate? Um, the crash of 2008 got me in real estate. I was a remodeler and all of a sudden there was nobody's house to work on. And I ran into something called investors. So you had a supply problem for remodeling. <laughs> yeah. A supply problem just like today yeah. <laughs> for remodeling for sure. Okay, so you were modeling for homeowners then at this time? At the time, yeah, I was building new homes actually here in Phoenix and uh, remodeling them. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of people didn't have money. And I'm like, I have to try to find work. And they're like, hey, um, have you ever worked for investors before? And I'm like, investors? I'm like, who's an investor, right? Because I didn't know anything about real estate. And next thing I started with one, and that's all I do now. So you were um, building new houses as well? We're, we're building new new houses actually in uh, Scottsdale and we had a few going in Apache Junction and then... <laughs> very different markets. Very very different markets and uh, we were modeling then and everything come to a screeching halt in yeah. 2008. Did you have in that situation where you were working a lot of houses, a situation where you were doing a lot of work and then when it came time to pay, they were ghosting you? Uh, very much so. Uh, we had probably about $150,000, of receivables that never got collected. Yeah. Okay, so you start meeting with investors. Yep. What does that so, look like? So actually, it was kind of funny because uh, we were having trouble getting work, so I put an ad on Craigslist, and I uh, just put remodeling and handyman, and uh, I got a call, and it was from an investor. They're like, hey, we need help wrapping up this house. I'm like, okay. And then that they had many more and many more and many more houses. And I'm like, this is easy because I get paid every week. You know, I don't have to worry about anything. Didn't pay very good. 
because <laughs> investors are cheap. Yes, they and are. I just started remodeling and building a crew. And next thing I know today, I mean, we have a hundred plus, you know, construction guys working on flip on uh, investment properties only. So you started then mm-hmm. working with investors and that's been a consistent. Never, ne- never stopped it. Uh, I started with uh, standalone investors and then in uh, 2011, uh, a guy came up to, I was still swinging a hammer in 2011. And a guy came up to our work trailer and he's like, Hey, I'm with American Homes for Rent. Mm-hmm. He's like, I got 90 houses. And I'm like, What? He's like, I got 90 houses. I go, You're full of beep. Right. And he's like, No. And he gave me 10 the next day to go bid. And I'm like, Okay, I'll take 10. He awarded me 10 jobs right after I bid him. And it was mm-hmm. me and three guys. Yeah. And that ran into a run of like 2,500 homes for them. Wow. Yeah. They were a pretty big, I mean, they still are. They're uh, very big. They, when they came onto the scene, it was a big splash. Yeah, they they were the first one, really. That, yeah. you know, and then Colony behind them was probably next. Right. So, you you're working with investors here and there, uh, onesie twosie, more mm-hmm. or less, and then you started working with the, I mean, what are they called? Funds? Yeah, they call it REITs. REITs. Got it. So you start working with them, and you start doing more deals, and it's just a constant drip of just doing more and more construction. Yeah. So basically what happened is I ramped my construction company up from 2011 mm-hmm. to 2013. And I went from like three vans, we ended up having 45 vans. We had our biggest year. Uh, we did like 12 million in construction between Phoenix and Las Vegas. That's actually what got me into Las Vegas was American Homes for Rent. And um, as we were doing it, I made like three and a half million dollars that year remodeling homes in 2013. Wow. And then it changed because they inflated the markets or they were paying so much more in the market, like 105% of actual ARV Mm -hmm. and nobody else would, you know, pay that. So a lot of the investors disappeared in 2013. And then I found myself sitting there with all these trucks and all these guys and actually had to downsize then. Got it. So because the, well, as these guys are buying more houses though, you weren't getting larger share of their business or you weren't. No, they they stopped buying for a a certain period of time. Like they would buy and they're like, oh, we're going to halt until we get the next fund. They actually... I remember sitting with Wayne Hughes in in uh, Las Vegas meeting when he had six guys when American Homes Rent was there. That's how early in the stage I got. And they had like like one or two billion in that fund and that fund ran out of money. And then they were going through a big shift and then they, they would basically halt until they got everything caught up and then they go back at buying again. So they would basically price everyone out of the market Yep. and then pause and you're back in the same situation Yep. where you got nothing to work on. Absolutely. Then I'd have to go back and reinvent myself with investors again. Yeah. So when did you start buying properties? I started buying properties in 2011 in Las Vegas. That's where I started investing. And uh, 2012, I started buying in uh, Phoenix here. Got it. So you're working with American Homes for Rent in Phoenix. You expanded to Vegas. And then you said that you were buying in Vegas. So were you living in Vegas at this point or were you still in Phoenix? Yeah, I, I actually moved to Vegas in 2009 and then I was still working in both places. But right. a majority of my business was down here and I was trying to grow that. That's why I moved up there and I had crews here that I left here and uh, was trying to grow that. Got it. Okay, so you're buying properties to flip yourself? Yes. Uh, it was kind of funny how that actually happened. So uh, we were paying 18% interest. Um, I think it was uh, Rod something, RLS Capital here in, in uh, Phoenix. And I actually went to one of my flippers in uh, Vegas. And I'm like, hey, we don't have to put anything down. We can get these houses 100% financing, but it's two points and 18% interest. Can you, if I do the construction, will you front the construction? I got 12.5% of the net profit and got paid for my construction. That's how I got started. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So, because I see a couple of different things, right? I, I've mm-hmm. seen guys that are in construction 
then once they start flipping, it's like, well, why would I ever work for a customer again when I'm a much easier customer to work with? I've also seen other people say, oh, I'm already flipping. I might as well start a construction company. So you're one of the very few that I've heard that was successful construction and still kept that going as, as you were buying houses. Yeah, so actually as of this year, um, I no longer work for any other customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me many years to you know build up the capital and, and to do everything. And I, when I did it, I wanted to be able to make sure that I had enough capital that I never had to go back, you know, to work with somebody. Because once you flip that switch on, you have to have all these, you have to have bigger teams. Uh, you know, every, your whole dynamic changes, right? Your cash flow changes. Uh, mm-hmm. I always loved working for flippers because I got paid every week, right? Yeah. How could you beat the cash? So, right. But construction always makes me a million dollars a year plus. So it was a good income and flipping was a side, but now it's my full-time thing. Got it. So... Talk to me about the challenges of, uh, of running a construction company because, like, uh, we have you know it's a very therapeutic, right? We kind of share, we commiserate, yep. you know, managing salespeople and so on. But I don't think anyone knows how hard it is to flip. You know, the one thing I, I hear from time to time is that contractors are crooks, right? They uh, are. <laughs> and but I kind of wonder: is it because they're immor- immoral, or is it because they thought that since they are good contractors, that they should be good at having a construction business and they don't understand sales, marketing, finances, books, and so on. Well, I was always really a businessman, not a contractor. Yeah. And I treat it as more of a business than what most contractors do. And you know, there's a place for everybody. And when I say this, I don't I'm not saying this because of anything, but a lot of contractors that actually own the companies, not the actual workers it's an easy place for them to go say, hey, I own a business and get cash flow, right? And be mm-hmm. able to have cash in their hand, but they just don't know how to manage a business. They're great at construction, but don't understand the business part. And right. that's really the biggest failure in contractors. It isn't that they're bad people or crooks. They just don't know how to estimate. They don't know numbers. They don't know how to schedule, you know, and, and run balance sheets and look at profit losses. Cash flow management. All of it. Managing then, subs. It, all of it, you know? And yeah. one of the biggest things in my business is I, uh, or I have employees and I have vans, I refuse to hardly use any subcontractors. And then I can really control my destiny because when you're, when you're, you know, having subcontractors, it gets hard uh, to rely on them because somebody else might pay them more money or do this, or they might not show up where my guys, they've been with me a long time. I know they're going to be there and they're going to show up. Yeah. So then going back to my theory, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily crooks that really, they just don't know how to run a business. So you say that's more accurate. I, I would say that's real accurate. Yeah. I, a lot of contractors are really good people. Yeah. You know, they just, they don't have a lot of education. Um, their skill set is really with their hands, not with experience, you know, uh, using, you know, using their head for, would be a best way to say it. Cause a lot Numbers. of them just don't think, you know, they, they just don't want to educate themselves. It's construction is always known as an easy way to make a buck, right? Mm-hmm. It's everybody's fallback for an easy way to make buck. That's what a lot of the construction people are. So you've been in the wholesaling side, you've been in the flipping side, you've been, doing this luxury development now mm-hmm. what are some of the parallels or what is you know or maybe let me ask this another way for someone that's watching that hates contracting that doesn't appreciate the work that is involved in being a contractor can you uh shed some light for them to know like why things are the way they are well the the first thing is is if you get a good person what you have to do is you have to put a little bit of trust in them right um, typical thing as investors is they're scared of that somebody's going to run off their money 
and they're not going to get their job completed. If you don't take a little bit of risk and you don't like actually help somebody, a lot of these contractors don't have money. So working with them financially and rewarding them that way um, really changes the the way that they work for you. You know, and being a contractor, my my biggest thing is is whoever pays the best is who I gave. You know, pays the best has loyalty and always keep kept me busy. Was the people that I never had problems with. Right. So when you're vetting a contractor and you're looking for a contractor, you need to look for the qualities in that person. Don't don't look at all of their flaws. And if they do have flaws, identify the flaws and see if you can, you know, take the flaws away from them and you you actually help them manage that right in the process of working with them. And usually you can gap that and that's a great place to start with somebody. Gotcha. Okay. So um what are some other things like I'm I'm sure you get complaints from here here and there. Yep. Right. What are some of your top complaints uh, that either for your business or someone else in the contracting space? From the contractors or from the investors? I'd say from the investors that are hiring you. So the the biggest the biggest complaints I get is is there's never no bodies on the job, and they're they're never on time. Mm-hmm. So if you say you're going to be on time, I always uh, used to give like, hey, I think I'm going to be done around here, and if I'd run into a snag, I'd be like, hey, I'm going to be two more weeks, but it's going to be right. And I, and the communication always kept me, you know, in the safe zone, because at least if I could call and they know I'm working on it, you're good to go. So the delays is really the biggest thing and no, no people on the job. That's a constant problem for investors. Cause when, when you pull up to your property and there's never nobody there working, you may not understand as the investor that, oh, well, you know, maybe the tile guy is busy on another job and he'll be here in two days. But their Mm -hmm. first instinct is why don't you have anybody on my job? It's not how it works, right? The, The scheduling things and when things run over, then everything else gets delayed if you don't have another crew available. Sure. Um, so I guess the big thing to look at is if we're looking at the order of things mm-hmm. and if one thing's getting delayed, then it sets everything else back. Yes, it, it sets everything back. And you know, in my own properties right now, uh, I had a few delays um, with different things going on. A couple of projects went, uh, you know, went sideways on me on my own projects. And I'm the contractor, okay? I have, you know, 28 assets worth $50 million. and you know, she's doing all the design. And I literally just told her, I'm like, look, nobody's going to like this, including our money partners and everything, but I have to stop the machine for two weeks. And I got to get house one, house two and house three, 100% complete because they're just sitting there. And I just have to do this two week delay in our entire thing. So I just had to push back my entire schedule on all these houses, two weeks. That's a lot of money when I'm paying 300 grand a month in interest. Right. So, but doing that, we just reset the machine and we move forward and still happens to me. So it's going to happen to other people for sure. Yeah. So, uh, what was it? So there's nobody on my, at my, at my house. What was the other one? Nope. Nobody's at my house. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, uh, not being on time, meaning if you say you're going to be done, you're not done. Yeah. Got it. And then what about communicating with a contractor? What, what recommendations would you give our listeners that are working with contractors? Um, what I recommend is, uh, when you're working with your contractors is, is build a solid relationship with them. Okay. Take them to one or two of your projects that you currently have going and set the expectation up front. Okay. Make sure that when they walk in, um, you should see that guy like checking things. I, when I go in a house and I actually have other contractors working for me now, I'll be like, what do you, what do you see in this house that is not up to your standard? There's gotta be something, right? Mm -hmm. So ask what their standard is and, and say, it's okay. Go ahead and tell me whatever, but make sure that their standard is what you want your standard at. Right. And they know that that's number one. And then they know up front what your expectation is. Uh, next thing is, is make sure that you, uh, get them paid no matter what it takes. And if you can do those two things and build that relationship and get them paid, you can do about anything with contractors. Yeah. Cause remember contractors quit showing up because they're out of money. 
or somebody's going to pay them more. That's the 99% of the rules of why they don't show up. So let me ask you this. Um, right now you're saying that you got your guys in, in your vans, you're not dealing with subs because subs can just bounce. Yep, they can bounce anytime. So are you finding then that it's a lot harder to poach your talent because they work for you? Uh, no, my guys have been with me. They're For me, I pay everybody piece rate. So when I pay everybody piece rate, they get paid for what they perform. So mm -hmm. if it was an hourly situation or whatever, I, I keep a competitive system in what I do so that my guys are constantly always wanting to be better. They want to make more than the other guy because they tell them how much they make. So they keep themselves competitive inside of my operations. So therefore, I think I have the most competitive, you know, operation in the construction business. Yeah. So um, I first heard about you, you know, uh, Carlos Reyes, Ryan Pineda, Casey Ryan. They're like, man, like, you guys don't know, you don't know Nick. Like, this guy's <laughs> killing it. Like, he does a lot of our flips. He's done a masterful job. So how did you get to a point where you had this kind of reputation? We have multiple people in my ear <laughs> talking about what you're doing. You know, the biggest thing for me is, is I always do what I say I'm going to do at yeah. any, at any cost. I just, whatever I say I'm going to do, I do it. And even if that costs me money, if I lose money, whatever it is, and just being a man of your word and integrity is everything in this business. Yeah. So last year, right. For all of 2021, how many flips did you manage? Did I manage on my own or did I flip or did I do construction on construction on? Construction, I think yesterday or last year, I think we completed about 85, but of, I would say about 40 of those, those were luxuries and the rest were all, you know, three, four, five, just medium price housing, you know, yeah. but you know, in my bigger years, it's not really so much how much I completed. Uh, my construction company runs on a volume. Okay. So we, we were doing about 800,000 a month, which is about 10 million a year in construction. And now we're running at about a million a month, which is about 12 million. So if you if you look at the volume side, if you're a flipper and you say, hey, my average rehab is 30,000, will you take 30,000 into a million? You know, you get X, right? And mm -hmm. if you'd say my average rehab is 400, you get X, you know? Like right now, my machine on the luxury side can probably do 30, 35 a year. But if I was doing, you know, the medium price, I could probably do 150 to 200. So yeah. you have to look at the volume side. Sure. And what are the like different challenges? So I've never done a luxury flip. Someone brings me something, hey, are you interested in this? It's a very fast no, because I wouldn't even know what I'm looking at. I don't know what to look for. So if someone's had some success flipping and they want to step into luxury flipping, what are some challenges they should be prepared to, to look at? Uh, first one's going to be a lender issue. Mm -hmm. um, lenders never believe my ARVs, ever, ever. Mm -hmm. They're like, there's no comp. Um, I just have, I have one right now that I was going to refi. I paid 1.5 for it. I'm putting 1.8 in it, which I'm going to have 3.3 million in it, and I'm going to sell it for five to 5.5. 5. They wouldn't even they wouldn't even value it halfway done on a refi at a million dollars, and I paid 1.5 for it, and it had been six months. So first one's ARV, yeah. <laughs> because when you go to lender, they're going to say it ain't worth it. The first thing is everybody gets scared. They go, well, if they, they ain't lender, I'm not going to do it. So you better be ready for a big down payment. Mm -hmm. That's that's the first thing when you go into it. If you're prepared for that, the next thing you want to look for is finding something with really good bones sits on a really good lot and has a super open floor plan usually with high ceilings if you can do it that's that's the type of houses i like to buy gotcha anything else to look for as far as luxury um luxury is really i mean the biggest thing is is look for uh new and upcoming areas mm -hmm. um like spanish trails in las vegas um when i went in there 
there was one other flipper, Jason Abrams in there and there was nobody else in there flipping. And I'm like, if he's doing it and I looked at his margins and he was really quiet about it, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to own this neighborhood. Now we have, I think six or seven going in there, Yeah, you know, at a time. So it's like, I, I'm always looking for the next, it's kind of like developing, right? Um, when, when land's running out, you start gets, getting pushed on the outskirts. Well, you have to look at the same thing when you're flipping luxury. If you can find just that next bump over, that's usually where the deal's laying. Yeah. And I, I think part of it too is I ha I started in 2007. Mm -hmm. I still have like scarred tissue, right? From like yeah. that whole watching everyone in as a realtor and as a contractor getting divorced. Like, I mean, it was just yeah. a really bad situation. So like when I look at a luxury flip, it's not just the dollar margin, which is uncomfortable. But there's also like, hey, this could take 12 months, right? So like, how long are your typical luxury flips? Um, right now, our typical is running about four months in construction and mm -hmm. then selling. I mean, some of them sell seven days in cash. And I got some now that uh, have fell out, went mm -hmm. back in, and we're going on three, four months on the market. So I still today, I say, if I'm going to buy a luxury, it's one year. Yeah, I, I have to predict it one year. And that's the thing is like, it's not just the price, it's the interest yeah. mm -hmm. on that yeah. price. Yeah, it's, it's very expensive. I mean, it's... Like right now, everybody goes, are you scared? And I go, no, I'm going to keep pushing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to push harder um, because in the luxury market and where I'm at, the, the all the California buyers, New York buyers, even Florida buyers are coming in and it's still just so undervalued. Um, I have to keep pushing the machine until it changes. And when it changes, I just have to adjust, you know, right. because when you're in it for a year, you're in it for a year. There's no changing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how many flips then did you do last year? Like 80 some. Like of my own or of your own uh, of my own. I think last year, well, we have a Kansas city market. I think we did, um, about a hundred wholesales there and something like 50 or 70 flips. Mm -hmm. And then in Vegas, I think we turned like 30 flips ourselves. Wow. Okay. So, uh, that's a really, well, how, what's, what's what I'm looking for? That's a lot of work involved. So what does your organization look like to support all of that? Um, that's a that's a great question, and it's what does my organization look like today, and what does it need to look at, or what does it need to look like in the next ninety days? Uh, that's a very skewed thing for me to to answer, only for the fact that I probably need to answer it in the fact of what does it take to do a hundred million, or what does it take to do with you know thirty million in assets, mm -hmm. right? So currently, right now, um, I'm I'm basically the CEO, the owner. I run everything. I do all of I do all of the buys. I walk every single house. And then I do all of the construction just in the Las Vegas, California, uh, St. George and Sedona markets. And then in our uh, KC market, we actually have a construction manager that handles it. So right now, if you were doing what I was doing before, you probably need uh, about seven people. That's what I have. Um, I have three acquisition people, two in Kansas City, one in Las Vegas. Uh, I have a TC in each place. So we're basically, you know, five people. And then I basically have a GM in both in Kansas City, I have a GM, and then I'm basically the GM in the Vegas, you know, and the surrounding markets. So I run a really lean team, but I'm also probably one that pays two to three times more for the people that work for me. I like really high sky, right, really high skilled people that I don't have to do a lot of work with that make a lot of money and they're enticed by it and mm -hmm. they're very experienced. That's yeah. everybody goes, you pay way too much. I mean, like my acquisition guys in KC are making two fifty to three hundred a year. They're living like kings. Yeah, I mean, I could be paying them seventy or eighty and babysitting them, but. Yeah. I only go to Kansas City twice a year and I buy and sell 150 to 200 homes a year. Right. So either I take my time or I pay for it, right? Yeah. No, and I think that's something that Ryan and uh, Pananda and I have talked about and even Casey Ryan, right? Like we've mm -hmm. talked about like you got talented people and you overpay for them, right? 
but you also don't don't have to worry about turnover. Yep, you don't worry about managing them. You don't worry about replacing them, training them. Like there's a massive um, tax, like a missing that you don't notice every time you replace somebody, right? It, it I, and that's a big thing. Is a relationship takes you, at twelve months the cultivation actually starts, you know, growing something, right? Mm -hmm. You're sitting there and you're nurturing this thing and you're just going over and over and over. And I always say, if you're going to replace somebody, plan on taking two years of your life to get back what you have now, if they've been with you for, you know, two, three, four years. So you have to make a big decision. Can I work with this person and, and can I deal with it? Or is, is the alternative worth it? And most of the time I find that the alternative isn't worth it. Yeah. So, um, and you mentioned that right now you're, unwinding some things and you're focusing on your luxury. Can you expand upon that? Um, yes. Yeah, so doing the luxury and making decision the first year, um, actually last year I was in a car accident and when I was in a car accident, um, I got a real bad concussion and I just met my wife. She'd been with me about, uh, two months at that point. That was in March. And, uh, I couldn't really do much. My with the concussion, I couldn't like think I couldn't talk on the phone. I couldn't even look at the computer. She was trying to do everything for me. I couldn't even talk on the phone. I would just get immediate anxiety and headache. Like it was the ringing, anything like that really bothered me. Screens and sounds were really, he was really sensitive to. Yeah, it. it was really hard. And I'm still recovering from that. And what I found was, is, um, I can't be in this position ever again. And she goes, she literally says, she says, everybody's taking advantage of you. She goes, they're paying you, but look, they're taking advantage of you. And I sat there on the Memorial Day weekend and I had a nervous breakdown. And this was about three months in and she was right. So she changed my life. And what, what I decided to is I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I said, I'm going to wrap up all the construction jobs I got for everybody that I have. And I said, I'm going to become my own investor. And I says, I, I know I'm smart and I have to, I have to figure out how to be, you know, in 10 different places, you know, with, you know, other people and show up all over the place with half the effort. Right. Mm -hmm. So I decided with her that we were going to build our luxury brand and that we were going to um, replace ourselves permanently in the business. And so what we, what we did was, is at the time I was telling you, you know, I've got my people in Kansas city, I'm doing everything in Las Vegas. What we did is, is we basically have worked for the last eight months, something like that. Literally I've taken one day off. I even work Christmas and I work Thanksgiving, Christmas and new year's day. And I told her, I said, I'm not stopping and I'm not taking a day off until I get what I want. And last week, we finally we finally reached that point where I was like, what am I going to do this week? Like, everything's getting organized. And she's on the tail end because she does the design. And I said, okay, I go, it's time to replace ourselves now because we've built up the inventory. We've built up the systems. We've built up the employees, the contractors, the money, the everything. And so I actually went to a team, uh, what was it, last Friday I called and mm -hmm. I've, been, I've had them pegged and they're a, they're a team of like uh, 10 realtors and uh, we cut a deal with them this week and they're starting on Monday and we're actually going to put people in all of our positions in our real estate in Las Vegas and I'm actually stepping out. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing is, is um, now I need to have a COO or CEO, COO, CFO, <laughs> VP, and then I have to have all the different positions because um, I need them to be able to manage anything at cert any certain time. So we're replacing every single position. Uh, we've got five people. I call it my execution team now. My execution team will be with me anywhere I go and anything I do. We'll travel together. We'll go to events together. If I'm on vacation, they'll be with me. 
And basically, we're going to constantly be cultivating new ideas for the business with the execution team. And the people, the 10 people that we're replacing are going to, re or the 10 people that we're working with are going to replace our current team. And I'm going to elevate the people that started with me. And we're going to be doing many different businesses and uh, being on top of it. So it, in this whole thing, um, my, my thing is, is you've heard about, you know, the, the what is it, the three-hour work week or the four-hour four hour work week? The four-hour work week. So you've heard about the four-hour work week. I say, I always said it never existed and I didn't believe that concept. And I finally have faith in that now. And the whole goal for us is, is I'm actually going to just focus on social media, like three hours, one day and a couple hours on the business on mm -hmm. Wednesdays. I plan to work five hours a day. And if I don't want to work anymore, um, I'm going to be 40 years old, uh, two, two, uh, let's see. Yeah. Two more months, July 16th. And at that point in my career, um, I want to hold a hundred million dollars worth of assets. And the reason why I grew this to $100 million worth of assets is so that I could afford to have the people, have the infrastructure, and know that I had enough profits coming in in order to afford it and to live that lifestyle. So I had to get 10 times what I had going before because I knew what I made at that margin. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to 10x that in order to live the lifestyle and pay those people. So we're literally, I think we're we're going to probably be six weeks, we're hoping to have that put in place. Um, so you mentioned that people were taking advantage of you. and I've been told this of me myself, right? And I've had people tell me multiple times, like Steve, they're just taking advantage of you. And I ignore them, right? For the most part. Turns out they were right. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you, like what were some things that were happening that uh, where they were taking advantage of you? For someone else, you know, to, to kind of recognize that. So <laughs> I'll, I'll let her, what is my famous thing that always happened to me? Well, I, you know, I think he, he has a hard time saying no. Um, he always says yes to work. He, oh, and anything anyone asks him when it's work related, for sure, he always says yes. And I think he had such a, a hunger in him and such, so much fight in him for so long of to like, oh, I have to grow the business. I have to do this. So he never said no. And he's just saying yes to everyone. And you have all these people that are like all these investors. And he's, it's not like he doesn't know everything they don't know. He knows even more than them. And they, he's getting yelled at because of nonsense. And he's doing great work for them faster than anybody else in Las Vegas was doing. And they're getting amazing returns when they sell their houses. And he was the one that it, like quite often is the one designing the house mm -hmm. actually. And it was, to me, it just was like obvious. Why are you doing this? Why aren't you using your construction machine for yourself, just right. yourself? I was an investor that hired him actually. And I know the quality <laughs> of his work is amazing. So yeah. he, so, so the biggest thing is, is there was, it went two ways when you started this podcast, you said, I'm a contractor and why am I making these people rich? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the investor goes, why am I a contractor? I should do that because they're making money on me. Right. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing for me was, is what I found is they always had in my business, investors always had a gun to my head because they knew that they had me, you know, cornered because I was, I only worked for them. I was loyal to them and everything else. And they would get to the point where, you know, they threaten, well, I'll do this. I'll go do this and I'll do that. So I would constantly get taken advantage of by giving in, right? Well, they're a good customer. Give them a discount. Well, they'll do this. And when they're turning around, when, when I gave, I wasn't getting the giving back. Yeah. And 
that's when I really realized that I was getting taken advantage of. And exactly the biggest thing where I was getting taken advantage of was, is I did a TikTok video and an Instagram video on the power of saying no. Mm-hmm. And if you can't say no, you have no power. That's my saying. Mm-hmm. If you can't say no, you have no power. So if you say yes to everything, like me, I used to say yes to everything, that's where I would lose. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing is, is whether you're an investor or contractor is, is you actually need to change your mindset because it's not good for either party to feel that way. And I hate seeing relationships with contractors, investors, because the constant thing I see is, is very rare do they last together for very long. Right. And the fact that they don't last together for very long shows that both sides are wrong. This is a big thing. Both sides are wrong. So if you're the investor and you're not keeping your contractors, you need to do your business differently, in my opinion, and you need to make a win-win on both sides, and then they won't feel that way. And, right. and really, I don't I don't even feel good taking advantage of people. These people would literally do it to me, and they would laugh, and I would hear things. And you know, when I got in my car accident, that's when the real... That's when the real people stuck with me and when the other people didn't, you know, and there's a few people that stuck it to me. And I'm like, okay, do it. I'll never do another deal with you. Yeah. And to this day, I will never do that. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just how short-sighted you know, these decisions that are made. Yep. Yeah. Like you might make some more money on this situation here and, but in the long <laughs> run, it doesn't help. Yeah. I mean, I had some people, I had one customer of the Boakley's. They're really good friends of mine. You were on a live with them yesterday. Mm-hmm. And literally at one point in my accident, they had a house sit, they had one in Red Rock Country Club and they had one in Anthem Country Club. It sat for three months. They're cranking interest way on it. They're like, we got to get this done. Where are you? Where are you? I'm like, I'm trying. I'm, you know, I just, everything's behind because I got an accident and nobody was there to run the company and I'm, there's, I can't really work. Right. And they were super good to me. And fortunately the market was going up. Mm-hmm. I think they made probably another hundred or 150,000 more on each house. So at the end, it wasn't so bad, but right. in the normal market condition, it would have been a bad situation. But the big thing they said is we've been working together for 10 years. If this is all that's ever happened, we're going to stick by your side. Yeah. And I think that, you know, talking about the, all the goodwill that you put out there, right. The find the ones that stick with you. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely telling. Right. And yep. that's the reason why you put in that good work. So, um, now that you're pivoting, are you working with any of your clients anymore or are you just a hundred percent on your, your, what you're sourcing? That that's actually a really funny question because at first I wasn't working with them at all. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I did that, it kind of really upset everybody because in a way they're like, you're not gonna do my work anymore. You're what? And they know how competitive I am and they know how when I do something, I'm all in. And I mean, I'm a hundred mile an hour everywhere and I go big or go home, anything mm-hmm. I do. And now that it's been some time, you know, it's been four or five months, I actually, I'm doing a YouTube video and I'm doing a thank you for all of my customers that have got me where I'm at. And I'm going to name all of them and it's going to be really cool. Kind of like, you know, it's, it's my out video. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm starting to actually see those people come back around and I'm starting to do deals with them. But when I first did it, they didn't like it. Right. But it's kind of hard to not do a deal with somebody if they always do you right. If they mm-hmm. don't ever do you wrong, it's it's like it drives you crazy. You, well, he's doing that. Why don't I do that? They got to get close to you. So I just keep pushing. And what I come to find out is, is they watch, they get quiet, they talked, and then they act. Mm-hmm. And when they act, that's when actually the iron's really hot. And we can actually probably do the best business for both of us. And both of us get the best deal yeah. is what I'm finding now. It's starting to circle back around. And the power of no is such a 
powerful thing. Was there anything? Because it, it sounds like this was a big switch for you. It was a huge switch. My, I had to change my life. Yeah. So what the car accident sounds seems like a blessing in disguise. In, in, this, uh, in disguise. Uh, is there anything else that kind of like a tool, uh, a mentor, something else that helped you say no? Because this, uh, Jim Rohn talks, right? Don't yeah. let your mouth burn your back. Yeah. But we all do because it's uncomfortable to say no. Yep. So what was what were some of those things? Um, the biggest thing was is I, I guess I was I was so into work and I was so caught up in myself, meaning not like not like arrogant or anything, but I'm caught up in myself. Oh, you just work harder, you work harder, you work harder, not smarter, right? And just work harder and harder. You're gonna get there. The harder you work, the the uh faster you're gonna get there. It's so false. Yeah. The number one thing I recommend is is do your research, be educated. And before you start the move, you need to be 10 times smarter than the guy next to you. And you do it by educating yourself and having a game plan. So if you're having issues, like the biggest thing that you need to do is, is you need to learn who you want to be. I didn't know who I was. Okay. Who do you want to be? I want to be a fun, loving, kind person in anything I do. So I wasn't fun most of the time. I was always loving. And sometimes I wasn't kind. So if I want to be a fun a, a fun, kind, loving person. First thing I do is I had to change me. Yeah. Right. So you have to put love in everything you do. And I didn't put love in everything I did. So as you look at it, if you're broken, everything's going to be broken. And if you're, if your life, your friend, your health, um, and your business and your, you know, all of those things in family, all those things together aren't healthy, nothing else is going to be healthy. So my first recommendation is is you need to understand what a balance is. And I didn't understand what a balance was because I was the guy working 14, 16, 18 hours a day. And um, once I realized that I had to change, okay, I had to be very disciplined. And if you're not willing to change, you're not going to get anywhere because I was, I was stuck in that. And I said, I'm not replaceable. Nobody can do me. And I, you know, I wasn't training and, you know, I wouldn't train people and things like that. So if you can, if you can love people, love yourself and know what you want up front, build the game plan, educate it, then execute it. That's like the number one tool in winning in life Yeah, at anything you do. Why were you working 14 hours a day? You know, uh, I, there was such a, I felt like there was such a demand, mm -hmm. right? And I felt like I had to please people, right? I don't have to please anybody but myself anymore. Right. And when I got in the accident and I'm sitting there, I was sitting in the hospital room, sitting in a bedpan, she's wiping my butt. I'm like, I'm freaking 38 years old. I go... I literally can't get out of bed. I can't walk. It changed everything. And I realized like, you have to quit being a people pleaser, you know, cause I was too nice. So it, it's just that no, right? You just mm -hmm. have to say no and you have to be strong. So if you just get that down you're golden in my mind. So you talk about going from a million to a hundred million mm -hmm. in assets in 12 months, massive jump. Yep. So for clarity's sake, when you're talking about a million to a hundred million assets, what kind of assets are we talking about? First of all, all real estate mm -hmm. and they're all flips. Um, I'm starting to do some Airbnbs and some, I'm getting ready to do some multifamily. I also have a few rentals we're doing right now, uh, but strictly flips, um, flips and new builds. I, I'm sorry. I should say that it's flips mm -hmm. and new builds, not just one. Um, I have a ratio. We're about uh 30% new builds mm -hmm. and 70% flips. So the assets when I a year ago right now, um, I had about six million. And when I decided to change and I got healthy, I had one million in real estate. 
And that's when I started the growth. And from about October, end of October, early November last year, we had a million in real estate in Las Vegas. And today alone, we have 50 million there. And we have uh, 24 million in St. George, and we have about 5 million in Sedona. And then we have about 3 million in Kansas City. So we're, we're about 80% of the way to the 100 million. Okay. So when you were talking about earlier, you need to get the 100 million so you can pay your people, your top mm-hmm. people, what yep. you want to pay them and keep them, retain them, and so on. So that's what you're talking about. You want, if you're able to consistently flip $100 million in real estate, then you can have the, the revenue necessary to afford uh, the top talent. It, that's exactly right. My overhead um, just to run that operation, just in, just in labor and no, no interest, basically just labor and insurance and a building per se, right? Uh, cost me about $150,000 a month. And that's yeah. no bonuses. That's just as a base, not including me. Right. And I want a lifestyle of 5 million plus a year just for myself. And we make about 15% is what we're averaging uh, on our luxury flips right now. That's really so, good. Yeah. So if you figure if you figure we can get them done and I, I want to have them down under six months. So if I can do 200 million a year, that's $30 million. Okay. And if my overhead's 2 million, that leaves me with $28 million. Yeah. So it's a pretty easy number. That's a very steady number. And you know what? If if we can only flip the hundred million a year, that's still 15. And with $2 million of overhead plus paying them well, I'm still doing good. Right. Like my goal this year is to make 10 million on my flips without no new builds. And we're on track to do that. So what were the things? I mean, obviously it looked like you shifted your focus. Mm-hmm. What did you shift your focus to 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 get yourself in that direction? In, into having freedom in my lifestyle or the no, hundred million? To have this many assets under so, you know, the first thing I did is, is I didn't have the credit lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and I says, I'm going to buy everything I can. I'm going to raise any dollars. I'm going to put all my money in. And I got to the first 15 million. I was stalled. My hard money lender was out of money and I was out of money. So I had, I had all his money. Um, he's been a good friend of mine for a long time. I had 10 million of his and I had 5 million of mine. And I'm like out of liquid money at that point. Cause I had money tied up in other assets and in, in other businesses. And I, and I was stalled and I was just stalled there. And I just kept posting on social media. I kept posting on social media. I said, I'll get in front of the right people. So when I was stalled, we literally, I had two of my projects sitting, we were out of construction money, everything. And I think that was like probably first of January, something like that. And uh, actually John Gafford put a post on and I'm like, okay, there's a good hit. You know, he's like number one luxury in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, uh, so I'm broker broker. Yeah. And I go, okay. He's like, Hey, I got, you know, X. I'm like, okay, great. So we deployed that. And then he starts posting on social media. Then one of my really good friends that I was actually competition with next to me, he's like, Hey, I can hook you up with this hundred million dollar line. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I can hook you up with a hundred million dollar line. So I sent him my financials. Uh, it was like, I want to say maybe March, we got the hundred million dollar line. And then I started using a, another lender out of Newport and I started raising gap funds. And next thing I know, between him, my lender Newport, I have like 15 million with them. We're starting to grow now and we put his money in. Now the money just comes out of the woodwork. And I knew it would, and I knew people would want to invest with me because once they seen what I was doing, it's it's inevitable to not want to be part of it, right? Yeah. And I actually have flippers now. They're like, can I just, you know, I pay 12% usually in like a point on gap funds. They're like, can I just give you my money at 12%? They're like, this is too hard to work now. <laughs> like if I can get a 12% analyzed return, I'll just invest with you because they come to my projects and see what I'm doing. And that money just kept going and, you know, and then everybody see me doing it and I was, I'm buy, buy, send deals at deals at Nick Marietta. And I just kept posting and posting and posting. And I knew 
if I just kept moving at a fast pace that it would drive people wild, right? And it drove them wild enough they just had to be part of it. So the phone starts ringing, my DMs start coming in, and it's the point now where I can't buy anymore. Like we're so we've grown so fast that, and we have so many assets coming at us. Like my deals at Nick Marietta has anywhere between five and fifteen deals a day, and I don't even post anymore coming to it. And we're right now we're stabilizing for a couple of weeks, and then we're going to go back. We're going to buy to get to the hundred million, and that's basically how we did it. Got it. Okay, so um, you're talking about you want to focus this year more on social media. Mm-hmm. What does that mean exactly? Well. I, I, let's see, what was it? I want to say December of 2020. Someone says, you need to get a videographer. All right, great. I got this camera. They're staring at me. I'm like, what am I going to say? Like, I don't know how to create content. Like, just be yourself. Okay. So I just start posting stories and dumb videos, right? Mm -hmm. And I knew the same philosophy with social media would happen for me. If, if I did that philosophy with, you know, with the real estate, I knew do social media. And I says, Okay, let's let's just post anything we can. So our content right now really is um, more to help people and show what we do. We aren't selling anything, right? And I knew if I went hard enough, long enough, just like that, I would get some attention. Now the attention and the views is so strong that we have such a product uh, or such a demand for mentorships, courses, books, uh, investing with us, uh, teach them how to, you know, even do the social media and everything else. So we actually. Um, Cut a deal last week. I'm not going to say it right now, but we're actually partnering with somebody and we're going to go from, I think we're somewhere around like two posts a day right now. So we're doing 60 a month and we're going to go to like 800 a week. <laughs> wow. In less than two weeks. And the whole, the whole thing with social media is, is we're going to build products around that. And, um, we're going to, you know, obviously sell on the ladders and help people along the way, but we're going to try to franchise all of our businesses. And that's gotcha. really the big mo- the big model for us is to get the following and to franchise every business we have. Wow. And then what are all those businesses? Well, that's a good question. That's uh right now I have uh four home investor franchises. I only use one. That's in Kansas City. We're dumping them, which I don't really care if they see this. They'll, they're gonna try to sue me and everything else. Who cares? Come after me. Like, what are they gonna get out of me? Nothing. Yeah. Um, that's the first thing. The, uh, so the first thing is going so you to be have four, but only one up and running. Well, I only use one because I'm knowing so well in my other markets. I don't need to market. Got it. Uh, our Kansas city model is home investors has that place cornered, you know? Got it. So we use it there. It works really good. Um, but I, I do all my own wholesales and my own one-on-one marketing. And I do also do off, you know, or, uh, off market marketing and, you know, many different ways, driving for dollars, you know, door knocking, you know, cold calling, whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, so the first one's going to be a wholesale model. We're basically going to do all the things that we think should be done. And we're going to franchise basically a wholesale franchise. Um, with that, we're going to allow that to plug into a rental franchise. So we're going to show um, with people we're partnering with, they already have a ton of rentals. So we're going to kind of offspring what they do so that basically now you can take the wholesale down, right? Mm-hmm. And now you can turn it into rental because I want to teach people long-term wealth. That's been one of my biggest mistakes is not uh holding property which i wish i would have held a lot more and flipping it you know and then i'm going to go from that to the luxury model so we're going to have three we're going to have the the wholesale side we're going to have the rental side then we're going to have the luxury one and then we have tons of business we have our construction company our mechanical company which is electrical plumbing hvac uh we have a glass company she has a design company and then we're also going to have a product line for our staging 
Uh, so we're going to franchise all of those and they'll all, they'll all commingle, no matter if you're doing a rental, if you're doing a luxury flip or a regular flip or whatever, these are all things that need inside of that. And then I'm going to do a fund. And with the wholesale bank line people that I have, uh, I'll be able to get people large lines of credit. And we're actually going to start the mortgage side so that when the people work with us, we can do that. And we're going to have funds and show them how to raise gap funds. So these people don't even need money. Okay. Mm -hmm. Other than to get into the franchise to be able to do these things. And we're going to be partners with them on all these deals. So the biggest sell for me is on the social media is getting all these things, helping people, and then being in partner with them on yeah. all the assets they hold. That's yeah. going to just blow me up and I'll have a ton of assets. On. That's huge. Uh, what is the Marietta collection? The Nick Marietta collection is her designs <laughs> and uh, my years in the business and uh, construction knowledge. Uh, and it's just our luxury brand in Las Vegas, St. George, and in Sedona. Got it. And then, uh, so you have, did you come here in a jet? Uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm spoiled since I got the jet. Uh, I actually had to bring my Mercedes Sprinter today. Oh, <laughs> the jet's it. getting service. It's in the hangar. I'm hope I'm hoping down to, hoping to fly down on Friday in it when yeah. we come down to freedom. Gotcha. Oh, so you're going to drive back and you're going to fly back for freedom. Yeah. I got to fly back for freedom. And I told her, I'm like, my God, I, so we left this morning out of Vegas at like four 45 and we had to go to Sedona. So to a flip to we Sedona. Had check out on one of our projects there. Yeah. So we were there and then we drove here and then I could drive home. So I left home at 4.45 and I'm going to probably get home at 7, right? <laughs> I could have left at noon, come here, had lunch, did this, stopped at Sedona and been home by 5. Yeah. So what takes me 14 hours, I can do for 5. So, a jet. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting business. Yeah. So why do you have a jet? Well, number one, I do things that people tell me I can't have or I can't do. So I actually did it. I have that similar problem, but continue. Okay. Um, I actually did the jet just because people, I've been wanting one for like four years. And I, I told her, I'm going to buy a jet. She's like, oh my gosh. I didn't and, say, oh my gosh, you always say that. I did yeah, not. Okay. So, well, she about killed me through it because it was taking me. Well, because, me and then it was about 20 hours a week going into <laughs> him going through this process. It's not an easy process to acquire a plane and no. to get the financing and everything. And no. he figured out how to make it into a business model, actually. Yeah. So, so anything I do, it's like, I think it's anything like an Airbnb. If I do it, I want it, to, if I'm not using it, I want it to make me money. Mm -hmm. And, um, last August, I said, I'm going to go do it. I got turned down by six banks. They're like, you've never owned a jet. You, you don't know the cost of them. It wasn't really a qualifying part as it was a, um, Banks are really goofy with jets because like you don't even have a business that really needs a jet. Mm -hmm. And um, my biggest thing was I knew if I got the jet, it gets attention. Okay. Attention's good. Right. It drove, it grew my social media brand, like tripled it, if not quadrupled it in the last mm -hmm. six months, just because of the jet. And then I knew that if I got that, that I could then advertise on my social media for opportunity. Yeah. And some of the biggest opportunities are now. Right. So I wanted to have a jet available that if the opportunity was there, I could get there. And it was also a mindset shift. I said, if I have a jet, I have to do big things because they're very expensive. Yes, they are. Um, so those were the two major things. And then I looked at it and uh, we're actually building a fleet of 12 of them now. And in the next 18 uh, months, we're hoping to have 12 of them in the air and we're going to have, you know, uh, midsize, long range, you know, and then we'll have our smaller jets like we have now. We have a Dassault Falcon 50. So what is. What can one expect to pay to get one of those jets? Um, 
to get one of those jets like mine, it's a 3,600 nautical mile, three engine, nine passenger, uh, two uh, pilots. You can look it up. It's Falcon 50. Um, for that, right out of a sea inspection, which a sea inspection means it's just went through all of inspections, doesn't have another major inspection or overhaul for six years. Mm-hmm. You can expect to pay about 2.5 to 3 million for that jet today. Mm-hmm. I got mine for 1.7 and it was at that stage. Distress sale? Uh, no, off market. But uh-huh. once again, my social media found that, right? Got it. Um, and then you so can it's expect- paying for itself. Yeah, it, it's very well paying for itself. And I actually made mine, we have uh, four pilots. It runs nonstop yeah. and two Sturdises. And we originally projected to get about 3,800 an hour out of that. And we're getting like 5,500 an hour right now. So nice. we're making really good money. And the jet fuel is only about $300 difference from October to now. And it's basically stabilized. Um, and once I seen it, I was like, I can make almost more money with jets and do no work because I'm not in the aviation business. I'm just the investor now. Yeah. So I'm actually more excited about the aviation business than I am real estate now. I think yeah. it's got a bit, I think it's got a bigger upside because with COVID changed everything with aviation, right? And since it changed it, more people are doing it. And there's more people like going, well, like Carlos there is like, bro, if you have one, we was talking Saturday night to like one in the morning, me and him. And we were on the phone for three hours. He's like, bro, if you have one, he's like, all right, I got to look at this quicker, right? And then he, it was funny because two days prior, he, he made that post about it. And when I started looking at it, and now that people see me have it, I actually have people wanting to invest in my airline business. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't take that much money, about 750 liquid, and you can get a jet. That's yeah. not that much money. And you'll have that money back in about 18 months, and then it pays for itself, and it's making you fifty dollars to $100,000 a month. Yeah, I, uh, not in investing in jet, you know, I just kind of, Played around, see what it's going to cost, right? Mm-hmm. I was actually shocked. For just a few hundred dollars, I can fly each way between here and Vegas, <laughs> right? It's crazy how yep. much more prevalent they are today, Yep. right? It's not as crazy as it was, you know, years ago. And the cool thing is you can actually take a picture in front of your jet. Yep. It's not a picture of you walking up into someone else's jet. It's a pretty good flex point. <laughs> yeah, it's a massive flex. So uh, I'm going to jump into the questions. Before I jump into the questions, guys, we do have our uh, Closers Lab Blueprint in a couple of months. Actually, no, I take that back. It's next month. Uh, we do have the Closers Lab Blueprint where Max and I are going to go over our entire business from A to Z, hiring, sourcing leads, sourcing deals, uh, pipeline, processes, sales, everything about our business. We spent two and a half days. If you guys are interested, go to disruptors.com slash blueprint and see if it makes sense for you to come out to our office and see our whole operation. So... Let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Um, so Lotto on uh, YouTube, uh, I hear Airbnb is becoming legislative, legislatively more popular in Vegas. Is this something that you've considered? Yes, uh, I actually was going to do that. A really good friend of mine, uh, Jason Griggs, mm-hmm. uh, really focuses on that. And it doesn't sound like it's going to be in our favor with legislation that's coming out. And they're no? saying, no, it's going to be very regular, more regulated than it is now. And it's not looking too good for Vegas. I mean, you guys are very much a tourist destination. I, well, but the casinos control the right. legislation. And the there, casinos right? control. They fund everybody yeah. that yep. runs for office. Yeah. Yep. So, so it's not looking good there. Airbnbs are so what's gonna competition. Happen? Don't know for sure. But what we're hearing, they're not going to allow it or it's going to be heavily taxed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Henderson's the only city you can have it in now legally, and uh, you, you there can't be another one with a thousand feet in any direction in a sphere, right? So, and then it's to, to, you have to go through the whole permit process with it, like, it's like sober living and all these other 
it's, so it is. It's ridiculous. It's easier. It's easier to go to the third. My recommendation and what I'm going to do is with mine. I'm not really going to do Airbnb. I'm going to do furnished uh, short term rentals. Yeah. And, and the luxury space. That's yeah. a really hot market right now. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned that you found Nick as an investor. Mm-hmm. Were you always an investor or did you do something before investing? Um, I wasn't always an investor, but I'd say uh, I had caught the bug um, in 2005. Uh, I was opening, I, I took this uh, 1800s like brownstone in Washington, D.C., gutted it, and I opened up a salon. And that's where I caught the bug. Mm-hmm. Um, for design and for flipping because gentrification was occurring in Washington, D.C. And you could just flip everything, right? Yeah. And make so much money. And then I love architecture. Um, and then come 2007, I made a mistake. I bought a property in Miami in South Beach. And, uh, <laughs> you know, what happened? It's yeah. Like, oh, the market's softening. It's a good time to buy it. It was and, softening. You weren't wrong. And then it softened for a very, very long time. And I was actually, uh, like you mentioned, the scar tissue that you had. Mm -hmm. I had scar tissue for another eight years, a little bit also because of my um, having a foreclosure on my my, like credit. Uh, But I was also just scared. I stayed away from real estate altogether after that. It was such a painful, scary experience. And I just didn't have the guts to do it again until eight years later. And then I started inching into buying a property myself and moving in and remodeling it and then selling it at a profit. And that's what I did. And then uh, the year before I met him is when I just decided to go all in Mm -hmm. and to just go full force. So So how was that like? Uh, that that you said before him, you know, what was that like that year that you went all in? Um, I remember I had sold the house that I um was living in at a profit, and I took that profit and I basically said, okay, this is what I'm going to live off of, if I have to, and um and I moved into this like tiny little apartment, and uh so I could have like my cost of living really low, and I just I had my real estate license and I was just trying to, I didn't know how to do wholesaling. I'm not good at sales and like calls and cold Mm -hmm. calling. So I just uh, figured out the MLS and I would source houses on the MLS. And then, um, and then uh, another realtor introduced me to him because he was the best uh, contractor in town. So, (laughs) and your superpower sounds like is making is, is the finishing touches is the, the yeah the design side of everything yeah aesthetics i guess or mm-hmm. uh but i'd say I go a little bit more than just the finishing it's, touches the designs that's where she's yeah top and sure. then yeah. all the luxury um uh, we have a, our team but all the luxury properties him and i are always the ones that walk it because yeah. for some reason people can't figure out the numbers on it and they don't see the value and but him and I are always the ones that figure it out. She she was a key uh, part to my luxury brand because yeah. it was like I, I was doing it, but and you know I was a contractor and you know he always calls it like you can tell a dude lives there, right? And I was <laughs> yeah. I was the dude designer, right? Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't appealing. It's like oh that's cool, let's do that there, let's do this, like, right. so and that, it doesn't make and sense. And that's the a big house, thing right? in the luxury yeah. space is making oh, sure you have a absolutely. good designer. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, I think that's incredibly valuable. Something it's. 
one of the other reasons why I don't flip is that I've got horrible taste, right? I'm, I'm an engineer, right? Like white looks good everywhere, yeah. right? So <laughs> not such a good uh, eye uh, for, for flipping. And you guys worked on a project together. We were talking about this offline. You know, I had a yeah. friend of mine. It's like, yeah, you know, I did this, did this deal with Nick and I crushed it in multiple six figures. Like, what was that deal? And so you want to talk about that deal real quick? Uh, one that we were talking about earlier? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I got a call from a referral. Mm-hmm. guy calls me he's like hey i've heard nothing good things about you and he's a friend of yours and i'm yeah. like okay and i go over and bid i'm like oh this guy is full of crap like he's you know typical investor and uh he's like no no i'm serious i need this done and i'm like well I'm, and i just played hardball and this is the way it is and he goes okay i went over <laughs> i gave him a bid he's like okay he goes i'll wire the money i'm like where are all these out-of-town investors that make it easy like this yeah i wish all clients were the way he was because yeah. he never questioned anything we did so literally, i literally didn't I did ask whatever anything. i wanted in there i literally he goes go and just tell me what you do to it i went i took her i gave him a bid she designed it sent him the bid he never even asked the finishes nothing he goes yeah that looks good and literally we had it for about six months he bought it for 750 we put 250 in it never met him still to this day he never met me never came there and he sold it for one six or something made like three or four hundred thousand yeah Ross is an incredible guy. You yeah. know, yeah, uh, we've spoken to him on the phone. He's a yeah. great guy. Seems, I love Ross. Really yeah. chill. And when you say like, "Yeah, that sounds good," yeah. where do I wire the money? That's yeah. exactly what that's Ross how, sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. That's so exactly how he's he actually, was. He's he's a. I'm very intrigued by what he does mm-hmm. because he can flip in so many different places, and he's super profitable at it. And he's got the most patience out of anybody I know. Yeah, he's, he's a like, saint. Well, I'm uh, I'm I'm in that one, and yeah, you know, I'm eight months in that one, and I'm like, <laughs> I I don't have that kind of patience. So maybe yeah. that's his key. Oh, he's, he's, he's an incredible human being. So, um, all right. So the other question, are there truly an abundance of higher and long-term renters in Vegas? Well, right now, since the luxury market is, uh, so strong, uh, I want to say about six weeks ago, there was a article on the front of the, of the uh, review journal, which is a local newspaper there. And then just last weekend, again, there was another one and all they're talking about is how strong the luxury market is in Vegas and it's not being affected. And that's basically the California exodus, right? So yes, it's very strong for the fact that all these people leaving California, the houses I'm selling them for one or 2 million are costing eight or 10 million in California, right? So absolutely because they need a place to live. And when they come here, I just sold one that uh, we had an issue and we had to get a permit on it and whatnot. I had it in escrow for three months. Okay. And it was the only buyer I've ever had that said, okay, we'll, we'll give you a six month extension. We're in no big hurry. But most of the time when these guys or when these people move from you know another city, they need it now, right? Well, if they don't, they don't have something, there's nothing available. That's where that luxury rental is available yeah. for them. Um, and then a follow-up question from Lotto again is, where do you see luxury investors fail or could potentially fail? Um, I think they fail in um, not, well, it's, it, it, Two, two places, okay? And it both comes to money. One, not having enough money set aside to do whatever you got to do, making sure you have enough rehab funds and you can sit on the project. And then the second one is not spending enough money on the rehab and going too cheap. Those are really the only two places to fail. You can take a house. All my houses I buy at retail right now. So whatever's on the I buy my houses even on the MLS right now. Mm-hmm. I'm buying it for retail, gutting them, remodeling, and selling them for, you know, 40, 50% higher than I bought them, right? So it's kind of hard to fail when I'm paying retail, buying them on the MLS and, you know, doing that. So those are the two places where you're going to fail. In I will, I will be, I guess, the devil's advocate on this one. There isn't one other way you can fail, I think, is over improving. And 
you may not fail all the way, but you might have you know, reduced margins, profit margins, which we have been guilty of that uh, yeah. because he loves the structural side of things and like, oh, do that and that. And, and of course, I I'm love finishes. And, <laughs> and uh, so we have over improved in a couple of them, I'd say, yeah, where there were smaller but, margins. You know, I, there, there's <laughs> enough money in them. I like, and that's why I built, uh, actually, John Gafford helped me build the Nick Merida collection. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm partnering with him on some deals. And he, one thing about what I'm doing, we're making enough money that I, I, I you know, you always got to focus on, focus on the money, right? Because if it doesn't make money, you're going to lose. But there's no focusing on the money with what I do. Mm-hmm. There's such a margin and we're turning such a beautiful product. It's actually warming to your heart to actually give a good product as an investor and to actually give them like what they're looking for if yeah. it was their luxury home. And now that we can actually do that, it it's not like work anymore. It's completely changed. So over improving, if I could have made a hundred more thousand, let's say I make three, four hundred thousand on deal, and I could have made a hundred more. I don't really yeah. care because if that person's happy, it that's worth a lot to me. Well, the thing that I see, I don't do a ton of luxury, you know, but when I've been in some of these homes, just missing some of these details mm-hmm. is make or break. Yep. Yeah. Right. Like if you try to save fifty thousand here, which is an understandable desire. <laughs> but not spending the right money where they can tell a corner was cut. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so damaging a luxury. <laughs> and I think that was one of the things that to me coming from the East coast, when I moved to Vegas, what I noticed from the housing market that there was a lot of shoddy work, mm-hmm. a lot of, you could tell that houses were flipped a lot there. And I could tell that there was just no, um, I guess, uh, ethics behind it almost mm-hmm. and uh, and since this is my cho- chosen city for living i i really wanted if i take less of a profit and i create a good product and make my city better it makes me happy yeah you can get away with cutting corners right below median price yeah it's we even not, not not recommended but you yeah. can get away with we it. don't even do that that's, we don't even do that's but what's luxury the worst thing about is, us it's crazy <laughs> Which is yeah. why we, for the most part, end up sticking to luxury because we, I don't know, we're, we have a hard time cutting corners. Uh, so this is a different question, but sounds like one that you're very passionate about is after you buy a jet, what's the first step in creating an airline? <laughs> the first step in creating an airline? Okay. Uh, you don't really create an airline. Okay. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, chartering a jet is like a property manager. Okay. They basically manage the jet and they farm it out. So you have to have two things. You have to have a, a charter service and you need to have a, a plane manager. So I have a plane manager. I pay him $6,000 a month. He takes care of all the maintenance. He hires all the pilots. He, yeah. really, he really is legitimately a property manager. Yeah. He's managing the, your property. Literally. is what he is. Yeah. And then it's, it's like a broker, right? So now you have a broker. The broker takes 15% of the revenue. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I pay a plane manager plus they take 15% of the revenue, but they're responsible from the plane from A to Z. I put a quarter million dollars in an operating account and they handle everything. So what I did is, is I found somebody who's really good at it. And then I made him my partner in the jet. So the jet is really sits in a holdings company. It's like a, it's like a, basically like an Airbnb is the way Mm. I look at the jet. Yeah. Is it sits in a holdings company. It's an asset that's actually going up. Jets really don't devalue once they're at the point where they're at now because you rebuild them every six years. Mm-hmm. You paint them, you redo the interiors, you rewire them, right? So it's like remodeling a house. So they're really an asset that don't ever devalue. So it's literally like an investment company to me. Hmm. All right. Well, maybe I need to get looking into this. <laughs> it's I I have mastered how to do it. And everybody's like, 
X, I'm like, I'm not telling you all the secrets. You but can partner with me. Part of the key is that property manager, because that's yeah. not an easy skill to learn. It's to, it's taken him probably 20 years in the business to know all that. Yeah, he's right? 20 years. And another thing I get asked all the time is, or, or I get asked by other people is, how's your experience? And I find eight time eight times out of 10, the experience of a jet owner is like a boat. It's really bad, right? Or yeah. a motorhome. My experience has been really good. Yeah. Even even when I was 300,000 over my original budget for startup costs that I thought it was gonna be, I'm still okay with it because the experience was good, right? And that comes down once again to that property manager. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense. The, the who who is in, is, is in that seat. Uh, Adrian on YouTube is, have you done any mobile home parks or self-storage? Um, don't do any mobile homes. I've worked on them. Uh, don't know anything about them. I do residential real estate and that's it. And what other current, what other market that you're currently not in do you consider is prime for luxury rentals? Luxury rentals? Mm -hmm. Um, I would have to say California and Miami are really two hot markets right now from the people I talk to. Uh, Washington DC area for sure. Yeah. There'll always be money in Washington DC. Yeah, always. Um, on YouTube, how can we find a hundred million dollar funder like Nick did? Uh, email me at invest at nickmarietta.com mm -hmm. and I can get you hooked up with that. Yeah, there you go. Simple enough. Um, and then that's all the questions I see here. So, you know, you got a lot of things going on and it seems like you got a lot of clarity since your car accident. The most clarity in my life. So has it, have you figured out what your why is? My, my why is basically to, to leave a legacy behind and I'm actually going to, um, I'm going to name our business legacy builders. And one thing that I see so few people doing is they just, they care about today. Mm -hmm. They don't care about generations ahead. They don't care about our future of the country. They don't care about the future of actually their, their generations and just other people in general. So, um, I don't really care what I get out of the rest of my lifetime. If I can help people yeah. and build legacies, that's like, that's my purpose in life. That's what I love. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Brutus on YouTube, shout out to Brutus. Love that guy. Uh, what is, uh, how do they send their wholesale deals to you? Uh, uh, deals at nickmarita.com. Simple enough. What's your biggest struggle today? <sighs> Time. I wish there was 48 hours in a day. What are you doing about that? Um, I am hiring. I, I'm figuring out how to be in 10 more places at the same time mm -hmm. with half the effort. And I'm hiring qualified people and replacing myself as fast as I can. Um, how is that going? It's going actually really good right now. Um, I've been handed some unbelievable relationships. Mm -hmm. And I say it's because of the grace of God. The timing yeah. was right. I feel like um, I'm helping Chris Crown with his uh, Breakthrough Foundation. I told him I'm going to help him raise $500,000. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm about 220000 over the way. I got another, you know, three weeks. And then I uh, offered to, um, I offered half of my jet. He was going to split it with me, and I'm going to pay for the other half. We're going to go to Ukraine and uh, deliver a bunch of medical supplies and food and different things. We're going the first week of June. And I feel like when I did that move and I did that bold move with after I met Chris a few weeks ago, um, I've had the weirdest shifts in my life and the biggest opportunities ever in my life. Yeah. And uh, it, by the way, if anybody can help us, uh, help us with that, that would be great. Just shoot me a DM on Instagram at the real Nick Marietta and I'll, I'll help you with that. But uh, 
you know, right now giving back is I'm just receiving more than I'm giving and yeah. uh, I'm giving more now than I ever have in my life. It's crazy. Um, how, how that works, it's, you know, it's the way amazing. the universe works. Uh, what would you consider it to be your superpower? Oh gosh. Seeing things before they happen. Meaning I, I'm really deep into spiritual things and psychology and I can usually see a pattern uh, of something happening in business, life, uh, events in the world and those kinds of things. And I feel like I'm a pretty good predictor of if I do this, this will work because of this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, so I think my biggest superpower is, you know, seeing things before they happen. I, you know, and that really comes from experience. When you're saying seeing things before they happen, is it like um, just, you know, like this will be like, if I do A, B, and C, D will occur. Is that, is that kind of what you're talking about? That, but also just the human alone, right? Mm -hmm. The humans are very interesting species, right? Yeah. And one thing I've learned about is I know how to, I know how to sell the idea so that the brain likes it, mm -hmm. right? And they do what they actually want to be doing, but they don't know how to do it and they didn't think they could do it. Yeah. So when I meet people, I can find their superpower in them and I can see it a mile away. And when I can see that in them, I can set them up for success. Yeah. If they'll listen. That is a massive gift, right? You're actually influencing people in the right way. Yes. Uh, the reason I was asking about, you know, if you, if you A, B, C, and D, you'll get D. That is, too. That's is that I've been told myself personally that I'm a calculating person. It's like, it's not my fault. That he, he is that way. Yes, one hundred percent. It's it's a superpower. I know this will happen if I do these three things. Like, don't yeah judge me. Yeah, <laughs> just because I can see the future. You know, when I bought the jet, the bank literally told uh, told my jet manager and partner now that this guy is either going to be like the next net jets, mm -hmm. or we're going to have this thing back in three months. Yeah, <laughs> I've made eight payments on it. Yeah, and now they want to be my partner. And they want to back me in a whole airlines business. That's awesome. After eight months. And I predicted that if I got the jet and I did it and they, they questioned me, right? Mm -hmm. They questioned me. I knew if I did it and it was bold enough, it would happen. It's yeah. happening right now. That's, that's we're, incredible. We're going in escrow on our second plane. I mean, we, the LOI is in now. How about you? Superpower. Superpower. Um, I might say two. I think that one that you told said already. Yeah, for sure. I probably since I was a tiny child, I could make decisions based on visual things and aesthetics and and art, fashion, design, all of that. Um, I just have a good eye. I have a good eye for predicting the next upcoming trend with anything almost mm -hmm. uh, dealing with visual arts, I guess. Right. Um and then is to be a uh, like a pusher almost where I like I can see what he's capable of and I'll push him. Yeah. And sometimes he doesn't like it when I push him, but I push him anyways. Yeah. You push and me on the ground, man. Because I, I don't I just don't let people You gotta get the job done. Yeah. Well, not even that. I'm not the kind of person that is going to tell you just things to uh, to make you feel better, right? Right. I'm going to tell you. Reality. Yeah. What you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what is the greatest lesson that you have learned? 
relationships. Um, it takes so long to cultivate something good mm-hmm. and to establish it that one decision to ruin it is the biggest mistake you can make in your life. Yeah. My biggest mistake is sometimes burning a relationship because of my pride and I won't burn relationships anymore. I don't even get upset anymore. I just let them talk. And what I find is they come back and they, they're the ones usually wrong because if you argue with them, you don't get anywhere. Right. So keeping my relationships is, is like the most important thing and the biggest lesson I've ever learned in my life. There's a lot of wisdom there though, right? And that arguing with somebody is yep. that doesn't generally go anywhere. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't win. <laughs> nope. Um, Ingrid Hernandez on uh, Instagram, she's asking, so Carvana just announced that they laid off 2,500 people yesterday. I didn't know that. Uh, what do you believe wholesalers or flippers not in luxury should be preparing, should be doing to prepare for the softening in the market? Um, I think you should double down right now uh, on your marketing and your uh, acquisitions team. And I think you should start the engine now because I think the opportunity, because the scarcity of people are going to want to sell mm-hmm. and they think they need to sell now and get what they can get when I don't believe the market's in any kind of trouble, even yeah. with high interest rates doesn't bother me. I mean, right. I, I have a, I have my own opinion on that, but um, I would be turning up the heat right now. That's what I'm doing. I'm mm-hmm. turning up the heat, looking at more deals because I've always found in a market trend when it shifts, like right now, there's an, there's an opportunity window usually of about 45 to 60 days where people don't see the trend. And if you're on that trend, you're going to make a ton of money. And then whatever the new, new wave is, you're the guy in front of it and you're going to make the most amount of money in the next trends usually last six to 18 months in real estate, right? Yeah. Anything. That would be my biggest recommendation. Well, I mean, we kind of saw that. Uh, we got a glimpse of it with beginning of COVID. Yep. Right? Like everyone was like freaking out and we were talking about like Ryan Pineda. Doubling down. He's like, I don't care. I'm buying more houses. Right? Yep. Yeah. Everyone wants to cancel. I'll just buy all of them. Yep. Right? Like he did adjust his buy percentage. Yep. But for the like four to six weeks, where he was buying it 10% cheaper than everybody else. And he sold it for more. Yeah. Because <laughs> the market didn't go the way that everybody thought it would. Yeah. yeah. So he he crushed it in that window. In, in in any market, even if this was 2008, I would say buy as many as you can because mm-hmm. what you got to remember, buy as many as you can and turn them as fast as you can because what happens is, as you make money on the down, you can make the money when it's flat, you can make it when it's on its way up. Yeah. And if you're strong and heavy and consistent with it, you might have a little weird time and you know you might not be your average, but I find out, I find the biggest wins that way. Well, it's not just that, right? I mean, as it's going down or it's flat and you're not making as much, the reality is everyone else is making zero. Yep. And as you, as they're making zero, you're still gaining steam. So when things do kind of level out, you've got a massive advantage. <laughs> Huge advantage to that. Yeah. Uh, is there a book you've gifted more than any other? Um, you know, that's a funny thing about me. I've read two books in my life. Really? I don't read. All right. So what are those two books? Um, I've read Traction. Mm-hmm. And I read the I read the 10x rule by Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone. Yep. Love yeah. Grant Cardone. I'm a watcher. Yeah. I'm actually I have a hard time reading and comprehending. Sure. So since I'm not a reader, mm-hmm. I'm one of the few that everybody always has a book they recommend. I don't have any books I recommend. Sure. All right. I, so is there anything you watched that um, you highly recommend? Find the most wealthiest person in two ways. One, the way you you like the or one um, that you like the way they act, do things, 
and approach things and find one in your industry, study them, nothing else. Study them, study their trends and do exactly what they're doing and you'll be at the top. Who do you study? I study uh, Grant Cardone and I like Donald Trump. Yeah. I love Donald Trump's ways. Yeah. I was going to say Elon right now. I'm a very, yep. very big Elon fanboy. So. I, I can't keep up with Elon, but he's kind of a, he reminds me of a Trump because he does bold moves, right? Mm -hmm. But I like how Trump just, nothing phases him. Like yeah. I, I'm not in his industry, even though he does, you know, commercial and golf courses and big high rises, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, I don't do any of that. But the way that he does business is the way that I do business. When some, when somebody says something, I just keep going, I don't care what they say. Right. right? But then I like, I like Grant Cardone. I like, I like the way that he does business in the real estate space. Yeah. Um, someone sent me a video of Donald Trump, right? Mm -hmm. And he was talking about options and assigning the contract. Yep. They're like, you can do that in hotels. Like this thing's been around forever, forever. Yep. Right. <laughs> like when I, when I was, um, in real estate school back in 2007, it was, uh, we were talking about, um, optionee, assignee and, and or mm -hmm. assigns, right? All these things. You had to learn these things in real estate school. Yeah. What's funny is once you get licensed, you hate those people, <laughs> right? Um, but you learn about this in real estate school. So it was, it was humorous to me. And they're like, hey, Donald Trump was assigning properties back in the day. Yeah. 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 He was back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. I want to make a, I want you to think about what you want to leave the listeners with. Well, I make just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, guys, if you get value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment. It helps us reach more people. And we do have Closers Lab tomorrow. That's uh, Max doing live calls, right? And then we got Blockchain Whales uh, coming up on Friday. Oh, you know, I actually have uh, Ryan Pineda coming in tomorrow to do a special episode. So be sure to check in uh, then. And then we do have our sales masterclass. Go to disruptors.com slash masterclass for that. And um, well, that's it. So last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with. Um, if, if I had one thought that I would want to give to anybody, um, stop what you're doing today and look at where you're at and really ask yourself, really ask yourself, are you at your true potential? And if you're not at your true potential and you envision more and you believe in yourself and you know, you can do more, figure out what that is and make an action plan immediately and do it. Well, that's awesome. It's straight to the point. Very clear. Very simple. clarity you had not too long ago. Yep. It, it's a, it was a point that I had to come to in life. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's unfortunate the way you had to get there, but it's, and there, there's one thing about it is, is if you're not failing, okay. If you're not failing, I fail every day. You want to know why? Because when I fail, I'm, I'm hitting my true potential. Yeah. When I'm when I'm not failing, I'm just skating by in life. So, um, make sure that you're failing. You, you need to have at least one to three failures a day. My goal is to have one to three failures, whether it's with my spouse, if it's with myself, a client, an employee, a buy. Find out what it is and keep working on it. You know, um, something I started asking my kids. They thought it was weird when I started asking them. It was two questions. What are you grateful for today? Right, because they're getting you know a little spoiled. So, what are you grateful for today? Right. Second question is, what did you do today that was uncomfortable? So, failing. I don't want to jump into failing. Yep. Yeah. But like you know, what did you do today that was uncomfortable? It got you outside your comfort zone. That's the right way to think. Yeah. Um, 
today that got me out of my uh, comfort zone was coming here because I I don't do that many podcasts. Yeah. And uh, you weren't intimidating, but you're really, really good at at uh, catching people off guard and asking off the wall questions, right? <laughs> and I and I come and I was like, and she was like, I was telling you the the uh, when we're walking stuff, right? So today that that made me. Uh, uncomfortable you know that was the thing i did today yeah. that made me uncomfortable and what was the other one sorry oh no i was just saying like that's what i like to ask because yeah. i think these are really important things right so you tell me like what like did we fail because i screw up all the time yeah. you can ask anyone on my team you can ask my wife you can ask my kids right yeah. screw up all the time but because we're trying to like you said we're trying to push and reach our potential yep for sure yeah awesome if someone wants to get a hold of you how would they do that um you can find me at youtube instagram and tiktok at the real nick marietta awesome perfect Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll see you guys next week. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.